Hello dear listeners, whether you're just finding us or have been with us for a while, welcome. At Dreams and Crimes, we've got a treasure trove of stories waiting to be discovered. We like to describe them as a cosy blanket after a long day of work, or a ticket to a thrilling adventure before bed. If you're a long-time listener, thanks for sticking with us. Your support means the world. Want to take it up a notch? Consider subscribing to Dreams and Crimes on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. We're cooking up something special, turning these stories into videos. We've put a lot of efforts into them, and they're actually super good. And now, let's dive into today's story. Interpol's Most Wanted On July 28, 1996, off the coast of southwest England, a fishing trawler was having trouble getting their full catch for the day. The captain decided to sail a little further out to sea to an area that they rarely venture. When they pulled up the net, they thought they had struck a big haul. The net was much heavier than normal. They initially thought there was possibly a dolphin stuck in the net, but when they pulled it up, they realized they had snagged a human body. Once on board, they could see that it was a fully clothed man's body. He was wearing a Rolex watch had a tattoo of a maple leaf on the back of his hand, and his pants pockets had been turned inside out. There was also bruising and a huge gash on the top of his head. The fishermen radioed the police and headed back into the harbor. Devon and Cornwall police brought the body in for an autopsy. Though his head had a massive wound, his lungs were filled with water, which meant he had drowned. He was alive while he was in the water. The gash on the head could have come from something he hit while in the water. The English Channel has vast amounts of coastline, and it is not uncommon to have drownings. Police assumed it could have been a boating accident or even a suicide. The Rolex Oyster Perpetual watch on his wrist was waterproof and self-winding. Police contacted Rolex and found that Rolex self-winding watches will keep the correct time for about 40 hours without wrist movement, and the watch had stopped at 11.35 a.m. on the 22nd. From the amount of decomposition, they could tell the body hadn't been in the water for over a month, so they knew that the watch had stopped on July 22nd, making the approximate time of death sometime on July 20th. Rolex also informed them that all Rolex watches had a serial number on the watch, just underneath where the band meets the watch. From the serial number, they could find the owner of the watch from purchase and servicing records. The Rolex belonged to a man named Ronald Platt, whose address was listed in Chelmsford, Essex, 250 miles east of where the body was found. In an attempt to contact the next of kin, Police first contacted the rental agent of Ronald Blatt's flat. The rental agent only listed one contact, which was the reference he listed when renting the flat. The reference listed was a man named David Davis. When police contacted Davis, he seemed genuinely sad to hear of Ron's passing. Davis spoke with an American accent and was very personable. He let police know that he was a good friend of Ronald. Ronald was dating a woman that had worked for Davis, and the two had moved to Canada, but they recently moved back separately. 
He told police that the last time he talked to Ronald was about six weeks ago, when he mentioned he was starting a new business in France. Dental records confirmed that the body was indeed that of Ronald Blatt. Police now assumed that death was an accident, and that Platt possibly fell off a boat on the way to France. However, police still needed a signature from a friend or a family to add to the coroner's report, so they decided to visit the home of David Davis in Devon. The country roads near Davis's home in Devon didn't have house numbers, so when police arrived, they knocked on the first door along the road. The man that answered the door explained that they were at the wrong address. The address they were looking for was next door, but the man was inquisitive and asked why they were looking for his neighbor. Police explained they were looking for David Davis and the man had a perplexed look on his face. There is no David Davis living there. That's the home of Ronald Platt. This confused police. Upon asking the man more questions, they found that the man living next door was named Ronald Platt and lived there with his much younger wife, Noelle Platt. Something was obviously wrong here, something suspicious. The Devon policeman then decided against knocking on David Davis's door and went back to the police station to do some digging on David Davis. Davis had mentioned to them that Ronald Platt had been dating a woman named Elaine Boyce. Police located Elaine and informed her that Ronald Platt was dead. She explained that she was in a relationship with Ronald for 13 years, but had split up two years ago when they returned from Canada. When she heard the news, she immediately assumed Ronald had committed suicide. Ron had always been a very passive, shy, and quiet man. However, when police mentioned David Davis, she knew something was terribly wrong. Police told her they had spoken to Davis four weeks ago and told him of Ron's death, but Elaine had spoken to Davis just two weeks ago and he had mentioned nothing of it. She knew Davis was hiding something. Elaine also mentioned that she knew that Ron had been in the Devon area in the days leading up to his death. Police decided to look through Davis's phone and financial records around July 20th, the time of Ron Platt's death. They found that David Davis owned a yacht in South Devon called the Lady Jane. This wasn't enough for a conviction of anything, being that they had no proof that Ron's death wasn't an accident. But police decided to risk it and arrest him anyway. With only the suspicion of murder, police arrested David Davis on October 31, 1997. They found 51-year-old Davis there with his 21-year-old wife and two babies. During the arrest, his young wife was packing a diaper bag for the babies, but police noticed the bag seemed extremely heavy. When the officers looked through the diaper bag, they found 4,000 pounds in British currency and two large 1-kilogram gold bars. During the raid of the house, they found more currency, British pounds, Swiss francs, French francs, more gold bars, and expensive fine art paintings totaling a worth of around $290,000. Police were now at a turning point. They still had no evidence of a murder, but it was obvious Davis had stolen Ronald Platt's identity. They just didn't really know why. 
The Crown Prosecution Service gave the detectives a week to come up with some definitive evidence or they would have to let him go. The detectives started by going back to the scene of the crime, the captain of the fishing boat. When they questioned the captain, he had noticed a few details that the police had missed. Ron Platt's pants pockets had been turned inside out, so it was obvious someone had gone through his pockets. If someone accidentally drowns, their pants pockets don't automatically come out. Also, when they hauled up the body in the fishing net, there was a 10-pound anchor in the same haul. When police asked why he hadn't mentioned that initially, the captain simply replied, You didn't ask. Police took the 10-pound anchor into evidence. When the police raided Davis's house, they found purchase receipts made with credit cards under Ronald Platt's name. One of those receipts was from a nautical shop in Dartmouth, and among the items on that receipt was a 10-pound anchor. They confirmed with the boat shop from which the anchor was purchased that it was the same one hauled up by the fishing boat. When they found Davis's yacht, forensic detectives went over the boat with a fine-tooth comb. In the boat's hull, they found a shopping bag, which was from the same nautical store that they found the receipt for the anchor. Inside the bag, they found all the other items that were on the receipt, everything but the anchor. Ron Platt's fingerprints were also on that bag, proving he was on the boat. On a seat cushion in the cabin, they found three hairs attached to a chunk of skin. When analyzed and the DNA was tested, they were proven to be Ron Platt's head hairs. Police assumed they were ripped from Ron's head when Davis hit him over the head with the anchor. The forensics lab also noticed zinc residue on the inside of Ron Platt's leather belt. That zinc proved to be similar to the same zinc used on the anchor. Police believe that Davis tucked the anchor into Platt's belt like a sword, then threw him over the edge. The boat featured new technology at the time, GPS. The global positioning system proved that the boat was in the same general area that the body was pulled up on July 20th, the same day the Rolex had proven Ronald Platt had been killed. The police now believed that they had the evidence they needed to secure a murder conviction. However, the one thing they didn't have was a motive. Why was David Davis posing as Ronald Platt in the first place? It wasn't until they ran Davis's fingerprints through global databases that they revealed the whole story and exactly who they had captured. The man they had arrested was not David Davis. That was an assumed name as well. His real name was Albert Johnson Walker. He was number four on Interpol's most wanted list and was the number one most wanted in Canada. When they contacted Canadian police, they got the whole backstory. Albert Johnson Walker was a seemingly successful Canadian businessman living a normal life in Ontario. He ran a financial consulting firm with six branches and taught Sunday school. In 1990, he took his 15-year-old daughter Sheena on a skiing trip to Europe and left his wife Barbara with their other three children. His wife had no idea, but Albert was running away and leaving her with a world of problems. Even though he hadn't finished high school, 
Walker was a very skilled con man. He had set up his financial consulting firms in the Cayman Islands and had talked his clients, mostly elderly, into investing their retirement savings in his company. Many of them handed over their entire life savings to him. By 1990, he had $3.2 million in cash from over 70 clients when he fled Canada with his daughter in tow. Provincial police charged him with 32 counts of fraud, and he became Canada's most wanted fugitive and number four on Interpol's most wanted list. Walker originally ended up in Harrogate, North Yorkshire, where he assumed a new identity of David Davis, with his daughter Sheena posing as his much younger wife. During this time, Sheena had two children. Paternity tests were not revealed on the children, but their birth certificates list David Davis as their father. During his time in Harrogate, he met Elaine Boyce, who was working for a fine art auction house. Elaine told Davis about her boyfriend, Ronald Platt, and their plans of moving to Canada. Ronald had always wanted to move to Canada and even had a Canadian maple leaf tattooed on the back of his hand. Davis offered the couple a job running his new company, the Cavendish Company. He explained that he would like to put it all in their names because he didn't want his ex-wife back in the United States to find out he was making money. Elaine and Ron agreed and ran his company, often taking trips to other countries where Davis would ask them to convert money from Swiss francs to British pounds. In 1992, Walker surprised Ronald and Elaine with a generous Christmas present. He purchased them one-way tickets to Calgary, Canada. He knew how much they wanted to move to Canada and gave them the perfect opportunity. Amazingly, Walker convinced Ron to leave a rubber stamp of his signature, his driver's license, birth certificate, and a credit card. Walker explained to him that it was normal operating procedure in those circumstances, and he could continue to run the business under their names. With Ron Platt out of the country in Canada, Walker was now free to assume his new identity as Ronald Platt. That plan worked fine for a few years, but Canada wasn't all that Ron had hoped it would be. He grew tired of the extreme cold winters and moved back to England. This blew a huge hole in Albert Walker's plan to use Ron's identity, so he decided he would need to get rid of Ron Platt once and for all. During the trial, Albert Walker pled guilty to defrauding over 70 of his clients of their savings, but he denied killing Ronald Platt. His daughter, Sheena, testified against her father, claiming she had been hypnotized by him. She also admitted the two of them were together in Devon during the time of the murder and had been together every day, except for when he went on the boat with Ronald Platt. After only two hours of deliberation, the jury returned a guilty verdict for both first-degree murder and fraud with a sentence of life in prison. The clients of Albert Walker could only recover 500,000 pounds of their stolen money. Several hundred thousand in gold bars are still missing. After seven years in English prisons, they returned Walker to Canada to face 27 additional fraud, theft, and money laundering charges.
Thanks for listening to True Crime Sleep Stories. If you aren't asleep yet, consider following the show. Maybe our next story will give you the peace of mind you desperately need. Or not.